Um, apologies for being late. The train tracks and repairs um, has its own uh, momentum. And gratefully, John was able to understand what people were saying, because I couldn't make sense out of it and figure out how to get us here. So we're all here. And I'm imagining there might be a couple people still wandering in a bit late, because it was a little bit of a kerfuffle. Um, I want to um, just uh, say, isn't it glorious we have this time to practice together? Oh, my goodness. You know, the, the chaos of the world that's going on right now. And in the middle of New York, we can drop in and, and take this time. And these two days are going to be uh, a flow. And it, <clears throat> it was my intention, uh, with the encouragement of um, New York Insight, to really have this weekend touch back into primary themes. Sila Samadhi and Panya, integrity, Samadhi, or coherence, congruence, and Panya wisdom. And so last night, how many, how many uh, who are here now were, were not here last night? Not, not here? You were not here last night. Okay. <laughs> so last night was an introduction and I went through the precepts in quite some detail but maybe I'll go through them um, at least in an abbreviated way because the precepts, the integrity component really helps set the stage for us to do this work it helps us to focus on both how we can restrain ourselves from certain kinds of actions. And then the turnaround with the precepts is then to see how we can move forward with positive actions, which are the opposite. And then the samadhi component, which is what we're going to be focusing on today, is really coming into coherence and congruence to enliven our mind-body experience. And so today is going to be much more of a classical meditation retreat day where we drop in and we do what we can to stay present and connected in order to just allow the fullness of the present moment to fill up our attention. And then tomorrow is going to be a, a combination of insight dialogue and pure awareness practices where we're going to begin to start the, the, the process of engaging, of, of, of allowing the internal reflection to be something that oscillates between awareness of what is internal, awareness of what is external. And that movement, that gentle movement back and forth, which is so critical in our relationships with our family, in our relationships, in our community, in our stepping up and showing up in the world. Because as important as it is to be anchored to what doesn't burn, what doesn't shake, if the only thing that we can do is to do that in isolation, then we are constantly navigating a conflict because it's so infrequent that we can actually have genuine solitude in the way where our minds and bodies are not engaging in relationship with others. 
So I'm going to speak I'm going to uh, do what I can to support us coming into coherence and congruence, and then do what I can to support using that as a basis for this movement of a wisdom which is focused inwardly and outwardly, awareness of our internal experience and awareness of what's around us, and then have that then be the context from which we are able to open the field of awareness and see things in a bigger perspective. Hopefully that will meet your needs, why you came here today, what you're interested in. We're going to have an hour break from 1 to 2, both today and tomorrow, so that we can have some uh, food. And, um, and then if you didn't bring a packed lunch, there's places nearby. Hopefully that we'll be able to provide for what you need. I know we'll talk about more of that later. Yeah? Any questions so far with what I've said? No? Okay, let me talk about the precepts and then uh, we can affirm them. So when we shift into really kind of creating sacred space, uh, creating the safety where we can do this work, it's helpful that we're on the same page, that we have shared values around what we're doing, what we agree on. And it's helpful to bring forward a, um, the kinds of considerations that allow us to relax. And I love this expression of the precepts, these eight precepts with right livelihood. The first precept is to refrain from killing and injuring living beings. The second is to refrain from taking what is not given. The third is to refrain from excessive sensuality. The fourth is to refrain from false speech and then malicious or divisive speech or harsh and abusive speech. The seventh is to refrain from frivolous conversation. And the eighth is to refrain from wrong means of livelihood. So the reason why I love this expression of the precepts is because the whole breaking down the precepts on speech into their specific components is really helpful for us because that's a lot of places where that... uh, uh, it's, it's sometimes harder to keep the speech precepts than it is to keep some of the other precepts. You know. So when we look at the first precept as the precept to refrain from killing and injuring living beings, now, hopefully it's obvious that this is not a place to kill somebody. So even if you want to, even if somebody makes you entirely frustrated, it's not an a thought to act on. And, and, and hopefully that's obvious. Yeah. But what is usually not so obvious to many of us is, is what it means not to injure living beings and to stop injuring ourselves. And so for, 
for so many of us, what goes on in, in the backdrop is this ongoing conversation of contempt, resentment, criticism, judgment, shaming, belittling, slandering of ourselves. There's a kind of like septic leak that's just constant, where we're constantly criticizing or hurting ourselves or betraying ourselves or walking out of ourselves or saying things to ourselves that is really unkind. And it is almost never that that kind of speaking to ourselves is useful. It, it, the only useful purpose it serves, the only one useful purpose it serves, is to develop the vigilance to watch it arise and not believe in it. That's the only thing that is useful about that. So when we look at this precept to refrain from killing and injuring living beings, that it needs to also include ourself. And so the time out of stopping and pausing on that. Now, obviously, none of us have magic wands where we can go voop, voop, and it just evaporates. Taking the precepts is not a magic wand practice. It's a time out practice. And that time-out practice is where we make a wholehearted commitment to not believe, to not follow, to not pay attention to those thoughts in an unwise way. It doesn't mean that they don't arise. But it means that we make an a real wholehearted commitment to take a time out when they are operating. That we learn to see them for what they are and we learn to stop believing them as the truth. I'm an idiot. I can't do it. I'm hopeless. I'll never do it. There's nothing that's going to be... I'm, I'm not worthy... Each of us has our own particular way in which we do that. Through harshness, through judgment, through criticism, through betrayal, through shaming. And all of it needs a time out. So when we take this precept and take it really to heart, it isn't about a kind of like dry, desiccated, ritualistic, mumbo-jumbo spiritual ritual. It's about right here, right now, and how can we move forward in a way where we really make a wholehearted commitment to stop harming and begin to see the many ways that that is happening. The way we do that to ourselves, the way that oozes out of us the way we make unconscious choices because we haven't examined our biases. And it's not based in kindness, it's based in harm. So when we do this, even at the beginning of a day-long retreat, to set the space for this is a place where we are having time out on harm, 
then that gives us the momentum to take that forward in our lives. And if the only thing that happens this weekend, the only thing, is that you feel committed to engage in your life in a way that is harmless, that would be a magnificent result. Absolutely magnificent result. So this is not trivial. The second precept, to refrain from taking what is not given. So, you know, people have got their things and their water bottles and their stuff and their phones and there's a camera and there's, you know, so we we can leave it where it is. We don't need to take things out of the refrigerator that don't belong to you unless they're communal things, you know? So we can feel relaxed that our stuff is not going to get disappeared. I don't need to worry that my, my shawl is going to go away, you know? Or that somebody's going to go and take my backpack, you know? I can relax. And that is a nice thing, to relax, that we don't have to worry. But on, a, on, a, on an internal level, for me, my personal way of practicing with this is that when we're not doing that, when we're doing what we're, when we, when we, a, a way that we are taking something that's not given is when we, our mind is, is, is moving into the if-only fantasy. If only it wasn't so hot. If only we would have more stillness. If only I could speak to the person I wanted to. If only my mind was bright. If only my heart was open. If only I was completely energized then I would be able to meditate. So the if-only fantasy takes us away from the present moment. It robs us from the richness of the present moment because we're not with what is. We're with an imagination of what we think it could be. And that's different than using our imagination, which I often do in meditation, to help us bring about a more direct contact with what is. To undertake the precept from excessive sensuality includes our sexuality, but also includes our sense input. You know, it includes how we engage in the world. And, you know, for each of us, there's an opportunity to inquire how we're doing that. How much do we need? How much do we use? How much we bring the world of sensuality into our experience as a way of distracting ourselves from what is? And is that congruent with our values? So it's an opportunity to look. And on a day-long retreat, we can allow our bodies to be as they are. We can allow our sexuality to be as it is. We can feel ourselves relaxed and at ease with that whole movement of energy as it is, without needing to engage in it. We don't need to deny it. We don't need to repress it. It doesn't need to be in your shoes outside the door. It's funny, yeah. 
my friend Terry. She was saying that in the Bay Area they had mindfulness dating um, events, singles events. And she says it was remarkable because everyone left their sexuality in the shoes outside of the door. <laughs> but somehow sexuality was not welcome in the meditation hall. Well, we don't need to do that. We can sit in our own sensuality, our own sexuality. It's just an inquiry around how we engage with it. And for today, you know, to allow ourselves to not be in acting uh, sexual experiences with each other that we can relax to know that that's not what's going to happen. It's not a dating. This is, this is not a mindfulness dating class. Nothing wrong if there is one, but one would hope if there is one that they can figure out how to keep their sexuality with themselves and not park it in the shoes outside the door. To refrain from false speech. So again, saying things that are untrue and to notice the ways in which we follow thoughts which are untrue and we believe them and being able just to differentiate between what is true, what is uncertain, and what is untrue. Malicious or divisive speech, again, when we are taking these precepts, what we're really encouraging ourselves is to be careful about the thoughts that we are following about ourselves and others. So on a day-long retreat, particularly today, where there's going to be much more of an opportunity to do classical meditation practice, the speech is more around our thoughts than in terms of the way we are actually engaging with each other. Tomorrow, when we are doing inside dialogue practice, there's a whole practice around speaking in a way that is true and is kind and is supportive. And I'll talk about that tomorrow when we get there. Harsh and abusive speech. You know, the way in which we can speak to ourselves that's so unkind. And frivolous conversation. And it's very interesting because our culture is around relating around small talk. It's not around speaking about things that are meaningful or genuine or deep. It's superficial. There's kind of like, how are you? I'm fine. And you can say, I'm fine, even if you just came out of an evacuation zone and everybody around you is shocked. You can say, I'm fine, just because that's what we're used to saying. It's very unusual that people will actually pause and check in and find how they are and share it. Well, actually, my nervous system is still a little bit rattled from everything that I've been through, but I'm holding okay, you know? Where that conversation is accurate. And yet when we begin to start doing that, instead of paying attention and going ahead and going along with the, with the superficial rules of our society, but genuinely touching in and noticing how I am and checking if it might be a suitable opportunity to share. 
I notice that the quality of my interaction shifts because what I'm saying is true. It's not fulfilling a social obligation. It's enabling genuine connection. And I love it when people do the same with me. You know? So rather than the, the superficial social banter, there's a real moment of meeting. And that's so much more nourishing. And yet it's scary because it's vulnerable and we don't have much skill or support to do that. We don't know how to do that. And there isn't many opportunities where we are doing that with other people who also have shared value, that that's also what they want to do. So it really feels edgy, you know? But it's one of those delicious things that when we find the courage to do that, then even the small contacts that we're having with people, they start becoming three-dimensional. And that three-dimensionality of connection is something which I experience as deeply nourishing. And then to refrain from wrong means of livelihood. And again, wrong means of livelihood is livelihood which is engaged with harm. It also includes alcohol and drinking and substances. And so it supports us in our aspiration to stay clean and sober. And so we begin to start seeing that our whole life is, is what we need to focus on when we are practicing the precepts. So the, the don't do, these are all the don't do's. And then when we turn it around into what is it that we can move forward to, that we can aspire to, that we can feel good about. You know, in the first instance, it's about showing up with presence, with kindness, with generosity. What happens when we show up with ourselves, with presence and kindness and generosity? When these thoughts that come up that are so common about judgment and shame and that we are insufficient, that we are inadequate, that there's something fundamentally wrong with us, and we show up with that, with kindness, with generosity, you know, even though I might be fundamentally flawed, completely beyond repair. Is it still possible that I can live a life of blessing, that I can practice, that I can allow myself to feel the joy of coherence, the joy of letting go, even if? So we don't believe the thought that there's something fundamentally wrong. We show up and turn it around and meet it with a a kind of response that does not require it to disappear in order to stay engaged and practicing in a way that is fulfilling. To refrain from taking that which is not given is the showing up with full care and attention. It's the willingness to be with what is It's the willingness to turn our attention back to with what is and to navigate things even when they are uncomfortable. 
The, under, the precept to refrain from excessive sensuality is the commitment to practice contentment, to look and see, is it enough what's happening in this present moment? Just what's here. To refrain from false speech is the commitment to truth, to honesty. The honesty to know what is going on, even when what is going on is in contradiction to who I think I am, or how I think I should be. That takes guts to recognize what is going on, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, when it's not in accordance with who I think I am. And these others we've already spoken about, malicious and harsh, you know, the movement towards kindness, the movements towards connection, the movements towards respect for self and for others. And frivolous, you know, the way the mind can be distracted about random trivia just because it's finding difficulty being present and speaking it because there's a discomfort with silence. So we have a lovely opportunity today of practicing with all these things. And the point of the practice is to allow the fullness of the present moment to fill up our body, heart, and mind. It's not a clamping down. It's not a pushing away. It's not a grabbing hold of. It's a letting go and a filling up. And in that letting go and filling up, the consequence of that is ease and joy of feeling our bodies as congruent and cohesive, our minds as able to stay present with what it is that we're focusing on. Now I've come through a big thing coming from Santa Rosa and the fires and evacuating my 87-year-old mom and having our dog in a motel and turning into a full-time care and making sure mom was okay and everything was okay and trying to navigate community and seeing who was not okay and who's lost their house and trying to support the community coming into coherence. And my nervous system is still impacted. And so for me to have a day of settledness where we are just allowing this kind of coherence and congruence is exactly what I need. And I'm not anticipating it's going to be easy. Because when you go through a big thing and all of the impact is with you, then it's often the case that it discharges in the stillness and the silence. And sometimes what discharges is unpleasant unpleasant mind states, unpleasant physical sensations, a sense of energy that's oscillating and fluctuating and not feeling bright and clear. But the gentleness, the kindness, the willingness just to keep showing up and to stay with it and to let it do what it does. 
it just naturally will fall into its own place and rhythm. And so it takes courage to come to a retreat. It takes courage to sit and to be present. And we can do that, bring that courage in ourselves, and by showing up, we can support each other. Now, I just read, like, I think a week and a half ago, or maybe, I mean, my time sense is gone, so forgive me if I can't remember sequencing. But somebody shared an article that talks about cell phones and how the consequence of our smartphones is that our focus is like eight seconds. It's like, it's very, very low. And that's true even if we're not talking or engaging with the cell phone. But just having it in the same space with us, buzzing and beeping and and whizzing and all of the things that it does. Our system are constantly organized around trying to think about what is going on and who that is and who I need to speak to and connect with. And so if it is possible if there isn't urgent things that you genuinely need to connect with, just to take a break today, you know, to have a cell phone free zone where we're not engaging. And if it's impossible for you to do that yourself, then let's see if we can make a basket where you can put your widget in the basket and it can go into the office so that you don't need to feel tempted during the lunch break to check emails and message and Facebook and whatever else is going on so that it can just settle out. So let me just see, is there anybody that would find it supportive to have your phone in the office for today? Yes, there is one. So can we get a a something? And Are there any questions about the precepts or ways of using them? Good? Yeah? Okay. So what I'd like to do is, um, I would like to do a, a, a little chant to the Buddha, just as a way of paying homage to the, the, uh, our ancestral teacher and the quality of the awakened mind, the, Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Uh, the truth, the teachings, and the community of people who are practicing together and those who have penetrated the truth so that their minds are steady and stable. So repeat after me. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namoetasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambodasa Namoetasa Bhagavato 
Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa And these are the refuges, the refuge of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And when we take refuge, we switch our alliance from our own personal sphere where we are the center of the universe. And we align the center of our universe with the truth of the awakened, with the awakened mind, the truth of the way things are. And the Sangha, the collection of people who are aspiring to wake up and realize that which does not burn and does not shake. So again, repeat after me. Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dhammang Sarananga Chami Sangang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Bhutang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Sangang Sarananga Chami Datiyampi Bhutang Sahananga Chami Datiyampi Dhammang Sahananga Chami Datiyampi Sangang Sahananga Chami And now the precepts, and we can chant them together, recite them together. I undertake the precept to refrain from killing and injuring living beings. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept to refrain from excessive sensuality. I undertake the precept to refrain from false speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from malicious or divisive speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from using harsh or abusive speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from frivolous conversation. And I undertake the precept to refrain from wrong means of livelihood. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.